Bullseeners. No pretext, no BS. It's Pulp Fiction. Welcome to Season 7. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he truly is his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. This is the season seven premiere episode of the Pool Scene Podcast. If you were mistaken by the Bible verse intro, don't worry, because our movie this week says the word fuck literally 265 times. Really? Is it 265? 265. I'm Kevin. That was Jim, my partner in crime. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to season number seven. We are going to be talking about a movie with some of the best and most memorable characters, dialogue, performances, and scenes in film history. That movie is 1994's Pulp Fiction, a movie Jim had never seen. It's my first time. In a way, it changed everything, especially concerning indie cinema. Directed by Quentin Tarantino, nominated for seven Academy Awards. Not our typical fare around here at the Pool Scene Podcast, especially after doing Independence Day Resurgence and Kindergarten Cop <laughs> 2 to end season six. So Sponsored we, by Twix. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> be careful, Jim. Yeah, They're be careful. Sorry. Sorry. Twix is going to show up at the door. The Twix and say, Army. Did you mention Twix? Yeah. A bunch of publications have this as a top 10 movie of all time. I saw it listed as high as three, which was from British magazine Total Film. Jim, this is your first watch. Now, due to the movie being out of sequence, it can take a couple watches to like really get it. I only watched it once. What did you think? Okay, so it's no mystery how I've felt about Tarantino movies. I just have not been a fan of Quentin Tarantino. I just did not like Reservoir Dogs. I didn't like Kill Bill. I was really pissed off. We mentioned this in a prior season that Quentin Tarantino was tied into possibly doing Star Trek, the fourth movie. Yeah. So I'm like, ugh. But when Kevin floated this idea, I want to say it was early last season. I'm like, you know what? It'll be interesting. I don't like Tarantino, so maybe I can be swayed, but I doubt it. So yesterday I told Kevin, listen, I have no hopes going into this. And Kevin is like, listen, don't start making a fucking judgment about the movie before you watch it. Go in blind. So I went in blind. I don't know anything about this movie. All I've seen. Which is insane because I saw you like you posted that you were watching it and people and you were like first watch and everybody was like, what? Like all caps, all like you know? literally pissed. Like our buddy Jason brought up the fact or it was a Jake. You've never seen Pulp Fiction, but you know the rap to Police Academy <laughs> 4 and I said, uh uh-uh. it's called Citizens on Patrol. Yeah. And of course I do. So I went into this not knowing any of the background of the movie. All I remember are like some of the gifs where. You know, Vince Vega walks into Mia's place and he does that uh, thing and then yeah. the dancing. That's all I knew. So at first it's disjointed to me. Like I had no idea what they were doing. I'm like, where the fuck is this going? Within the first 10 minutes, I'm like, I'm not going to like this fucking movie, but I'm going to sit through it. And I looked, I'm like, 
I'm 10 minutes in. There's two hours, 30 minutes left. Like, Fuck me. And it's going to be brutal. But I'm like, yeah, Mike, make an interesting podcast because I'm going to fucking hate this movie. Lo and behold, I fucking enjoyed it. Yeah. I really liked it. And I get the fact that the Library of Congress made this one of the movies it was considered, you know, saved and yes. culturally significant. Totally get it. I rather enjoyed this movie. It has so many ebbs and flows, how it was disjointed and how the very beginning basically ties into the near the end of the movie. Yeah. I liked how Tarantino did it. A lot of things I was like, well, where the fuck did he go? I'm like, whoa, they showed that? Yeah. Like, wow, he just got raped? I'm like, wow, didn't expect to see Ving Rhames' bare ass, but I liked it. I really did. I, I gave it a fair shot, and I must say, I am a fan of Pulp Fiction. A, a couple thoughts. So the first time I ever watched this movie was a full family viewing when we back when we had oh. a, an illegal cable box. Oh, the after, good old days. After it won the uh, Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival, it, we had it on the paper, like probably a year later, had it on the paper. My mom, dad, myself, and my brother sat in my brother's room and watched Pulp Fiction as a family. And okay. I would have been... 11 probably 12 and watch this as a family and i remember like the thing that really stuck with me is i'm um, we'll get into it but like uma thurman's character mia she overdoses and they have to stab the adrenaline i was fucking shocked by it. and like you asked I have me to stab her three times no you don't have to fucking stab her three get times get the fucking needle this is the thing that blew me away about that when i first saw eric stoltz i'm like he kind of seems like the dude yeah he had the robe bit. and the long hair yeah and... don't bring her don't bring her who is this is this, are, you are, talking, you... are you on a cellular phone i it's a prank call don't call prank here call, prank call. i really enjoyed Eric Stoltz, uh, man. Yeah. And then, so I saw it for the first time. I've seen this movie so many times, like a hundred or more. And you would text me after you watched it and you said it was a really long movie. And I said, yes, it is. It's almost yeah, two hours, 40 minutes or yeah. something. But the more you watch it, once you know everything, like once you're, you know, what's coming and stuff, it kind of watches fast for two hours, it 40 does. minutes after you see it a bunch of times. When it finally clicked for me, I was like, I'm fucking really enjoying this movie. Now I like... Reservoir Dogs. And I hated it. And you hated it. And I like some of Tarantino's later movies. But after Pulp Fiction, I think the expectations for Tarantino were just so high. It's hard to meet it. He definitely makes a certain type of movie. Does. And he's continued to do that. And like at moments, he just absolutely has these like flashes of brilliance. Now to, to be the devil's advocate in the con, Tarantino was like he worked at a video store in LA and like he, you know, he wrote true romance and like made a lot of connections in Hollywood. He's like a sponge. He's like a sponge. He has borrowed so much from all of his influences that is great because he's exposing an audience to something new. But at the same time, it's like, well, Quentin, I get that you love these Sonny Chiba movies and you loved, you know, these film noirs and stuff. But what do you make? What is your movie? What's your vision? So like he borrows so much from other movies and stuff that I would probably have like a Paul Thomas Anderson ahead of Tarantino as far as like directing. Or, yeah. You know, there's some others, but I like Tarantino movies. In general, I love Pulp Fiction. I really like Inglorious Bastards. That's probably my favorite Tarantino movie. I still need to see that one. Yeah, so you should watch. And you would that's right up your alley. Yeah, history. Yeah. History and World War II and stuff. So I'm happy to hear you enjoyed it. So the next thing you can do for us, tell us how this performed. Because there's some interesting facts about the budget, the box office, you know, just how it performed, how it was made. So why don't you go ahead and give us that. Give us the number ones, how we were living at the time of release in 1994. 
four. So as Kevin hinted last season, this will eventually we're going to do a swim meet series episode with all the best picture nominees of 1994. And here's one of them. Pulp Fiction came out May 21st, 1994. The same day as Shawshank Redemption. Same day. Same day. Same day. 94 was probably one of the most, if not the most historically significant years in cinema when it came just to what ended up coming out in the future and influences the whole smash eight million dollar budget so very timid it made 214 million dollars at the box office that's pretty good and here's a little flashback for you kevin we're at that time right here season seven hit the flashback times As I saw a thing on Facebook that Walmart might move their minimum wage up to $18 an hour to meet the holiday loads. Well, at the time when Pulp Fiction was released, the minimum wage was a whopping $4.25. Look who's talking now in RoboCop 3 where your top movie rentals at Blockbuster. John Travolta, man. Number one at the box office, number one at Blockbuster with Look Who's Talking Now with also Bruce Willis and... Kevin's not-so-favorite actress, Roseanne Barr, Mm. being the voice of the girl baby. I don't remember her name. Really? I don't remember that at all. It was Mikey, who was Bruce Willis, and then she was the, the, the female baby. I don't know who. I can't remember her name. And RoboCop 3, not Peter Weller, Robert John Burke, as RoboCop 3 basically was a landlord for Project 8 housing (laughs) in New Detroit or Delta City. Also, Kevin, May of 94, the 15th birthday to the McDonald's Happy Meal. What's coming to McDonald's? It's our Happy Birthday Happy Meal. 15 of your favorite characters, one with each Happy Meal you buy. They connect to become a birthday train. As you heard there in that YouTube commercial, they had all the toys for the past 15 years as their best toys celebrating Happy Meal. E.T., Fraggle Rock, all those guys. Are you like me? And every once in a while, I might be a, a psychopath. Okay. I will get the this nostalgia wave where I can smell a Happy Meal from my childhood. Like, I, because it smelled different. Are you talking about, like, the actual, like, inner box mingled Just with the plastic? The, the plastic and the, of the toys, the, the food smelled different. I can remember, so you remember when McDonald's had, like, the McDonald's pencil boxes that I had, remember. like, the slots in them? Yes. I can distinctly remember exactly what the smell like. The weird thing is, though, when you showed me, I've been looking at those McDonald's trans lights now yeah. for the Happy Meals. Yes. I kind of want to get a couple They're of them. They're fucking awesome. They are really cool. I sent you, we can credit him later maybe, but I sent Jim, this guy went on a road trip. Yeah. And went to a bunch of like antique malls and stuff like that. He got some McDonald's pizza boxes, which if anybody out there is listening. Wait a minute. Kevin, I showed you. Yes. Me and my girlfriend went to Little Switzerland, Sugar Creek, Ohio, where they have the world's largest cuckoo clock, which is really weird. But the guy that owns a pop culture the store. the largest cuckoo because. He's fucking large and nuts. He was on Pawn Stars yeah. and Rick's Restorations. He had a McDonald's Land pizza box. Uh-huh. And he has a sign when you walk in, everything's for sale, just ask. So I'm thinking 20, 30, 40. I'll pay 50 bucks for this. Yes. He came in, he's like, it's $225. Not, no. I'm like, go fuck yourself. So there is a, a differentiation between, because that guy that went on the road trip and got all the McDonald's stuff, he got the trans like he got all these fucking awesome things he had boxes that say mcdonald's pizza he also has boxes that say mcpizza yeah. is there a difference now when you look on ebay there's certain merch 
that does the same thing. It'll say McPizza or McDonald's Pizza. McPizza's funny. I like McPizza. McDonald's Pizza is more like, you know, executive and executive McDonald's Pizza. Gordon Ramsay's (laughs) McPizza. Here's the thing that pisses me off. How many seasons we've been asking for a pizza box now? Four seasons. Help us out, people. Come on. Pool sceners, there's 58 of you in the exclusive group. Join now. Help us out. You got to know somebody that has this shit. But later in the pod, I'm going to make amends with one of the pool sceners who sent us a message with a gripe that they had. So maybe once that pool sceneer and I squash our beef, maybe he'll send us a McDonald's <laughs> That'd pizza be great. Box. I can't wait to As hear. As an apology. I can't wait to hear what that's going to be. In news, Kevin, the channel tunnel, the chungdol, the channel tunnel, chungdol, the chungdol, the English chungdol, the channel tunnel, chungdol, <laughs> shit. I'm keeping this in. The Channel Tunnel linking England and France has officially opened. Kevin, you could drive your car right under the channel and into France. I remember learning about that in school. Into the great beyond. One of the seminal television events that made me a Star Trek fan. The finale, the series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation aired at this time in 1994. Big wedding news also, Kevin. This is where nutcake Michael Jackson married Lisa Marie Presley. That whole thing was wild. Fucking nuts. And Kevin, we come to this part right now where I would throw it over to George Michael's sports machine. But it's time we let George go. A couple retirements in the full scene. We have a couple retirements going on. Our first retirement, we're sending George Michael into the great beyond but he sent somebody in his place let's throw it over to booyah Stuart scott from sports center what up Stu? they made me an offer i can't refuse hey hey, hey, hey. watch where you're going and keep your head in the game sports center right about now Hi again, Sports Center bringing it alongside Rich Eisen. I'm Stuart Scott. All right, Kevin, we're coming into the basketball season. Hockey started last night. Yep. Basketball is going to be starting. The Denver Nuggets become the NBA's first number eight seed to beat a number one, and that was against Sean Kemp's Seattle Supersonics. The Kembe Matumbo becoming a mm-hmm. superstar. And I remember my mom decided, I need to run out and get every Dikembe Matumbo rookie for you because it's going to be worth a fortune one day. Way to go, Mom. Thanks, Mom. Guess what? Those fucking cars are somewhere in my parents' basement collecting dust because they ain't worth shit. The Cleveland Indians begin an 18-game home winning streak at newly opened Jacobs Field. They are no longer the Indians, folks. They are our Cleveland Guardians coming next season. 20,000 seats less and probably 20,000 wins less as well. Also, there was a very somber moment on the 1st of May, 1994. One of my idols, Kevin, bought me a little painting a couple seasons ago. Me being the Ayrton Senna of Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Ayrton Senna died while racing at the San Marino Grand Prix on the 1st of May 1994 which ended up turning the sport of auto racing in general into a whole let's find the quest for safety and keep these guys safe so Ayrton Senna one of the greatest of all time one of my favorites of all time died tragically while racing the number one movie in America speaking of tragically dying Brandon Lee The Crow was the number one movie at the time and Kevin couple months ago i think this was when we first started the show you came over and you're like holy shit i didn't know there was two girls in the band ace of bass the 
the sign was I the love, number one I song. It. I love Ace of Base. And we talked about on the, what's that season finale when we were talking about the guy responsible for so many pop hits. Max Martin. Yeah, Max Martin had some involvement with Ace of Base and his mentor was his name, Dennis Pop. Dennis. Dennis no Pop. S. Z. Yeah. Pop. That's all that was going on in May of 1994. All right. So Pulp Fiction cost only $8 million to make, as you mentioned. The initial budget was a reportedly even lower. Really? But they added Bruce Willis. And so Bruce Willis was was like coming off a string of shitty movies. Which well, seems Striking to be Distance was right before Bruce this. Bruce Willis is always coming off a string of shitty movies. Do you see what he's in now? Yeah, it's literally like straight, straight to, to DVD. Yeah, it's like right. Dolph Lundgren. Straight to DVD when nothing goes to DVD. Kindergarten Cop 3. Yeah. So, but basically he was still drawing a lot of money overseas. Five million of the $8 million budget was paid to the actors and actress salaries. So this movie ultimately, you take out the the salaries, was made for like $3 million. You can see that, yeah. So the film was profitable before it was released because its worldwide rights were purchased for $11 million. So, which a lot of that was because of Bruce Willis. Wow. So they were like, Bruce Willis is in this. We'll buy the rights. Rights were purchased for $11 million. So they were already up, not counting marketing. They were up $3 million. Which is weird that Bruce Willis was still carrying that kind of notoriety and money. I mean, he just did Die Hard 2 three years before this, came off striking distance, and then this led to Die Hard with a Vengeance. It's funny because you look, yeah, you look back at Bruce Willis and you see Moonlighting. It's like a bunch of crap and then a, a decent movie, a bunch of crap. Bruno. A movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then Bruno. And then he, so notoriously hard to work with. I've never thought that really helped Bruce Willis in his career. He just is notorious for being very difficult on set. So let's twist into the plot of Pulp Fiction. Want to dance? No, 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 no. I do believe Marcellus, my husband, your boss, told you to take me out and do whatever I wanted. And now I want to dance. I want to win. I want that trophy. So as I mentioned before, this movie, it's presented out of order. So it's not sequential. It's not chronological. It's it's all the scenes and sequences are out of order. Now, I looked after the movie. Isn't this first scene where you have Tim Roth and the chick from So I Married an Ex-Murray, isn't this considered like 4A or something like that? It's like the end of the movie. Like, okay. Well, not the end. It's like the middle. But yeah. we'll, we'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present it in order for you. And, and people have done this on YouTube, but it gets pulled like immediately. People And I remember at conventions, people sell bootleg copies of Pulp Fiction. In, in order. order. It's not as good. I've watched it in order it's supposed to be disjointed yeah it's supposed to be disjointed so the first scene sequentially is a flashback to the early 70s a young butch coolidge is given a gold watch by captain coons who had to store the thing in his asshole in a pow camp. <laughs> not only his asshole yeah. his dad's asshole yeah, butch's father knew that he was going to die in the camp so he trusted captain coons to stick the watch up his asshole keep it i have <laughs> i had this hunk of metal up my ass for two years so <laughs> Yeah, so that Christopher Walken. Yeah, that whole scene's super weird. Whoa. The first scene present day is where the hitmen, Vincent and Jules, go to an apartment to shake down some guys, retrieve a briefcase that belongs to their boss, Marcellus Wallace. After they retrieve the briefcase, it's revealed that they have an inside man in the apartment named Marvin. However, in the car, while discussing the Royale with cheese, I, no, actually, they might be discussing something. No, they're discussing the divine intervention. Vincent accidentally shoots Marvin in the face. You gotta have an opinion. I mean, do you think that God came down from heaven and stop it. Oh, what the fuck's happening? Oh, oh man. man. 
Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. Why the fuck did you do that? Well, I didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. They must go to someone named Jimmy's house while a cleaner called the wolf is called to take care of the mess. Fidget and Jules go to breakfast, which is where the scene you mentioned happens with Honey Bunny and Pumpkin, where they discuss their long-term careers as hitmen and they foil the robbery. We are then introduced to Butch on the evening of the big fight, a big fight, which Marcellus Wallace has wagered a lot of money, maybe his soul. Butch wakes up from the flashback of Captain Coons giving him the watch. The deal was for Butch to throw the fight, which he proceeds to win and kill his opponent. Yeah, he just fucking kills him. Doesn't just win, he kills his opponent. I didn't know he was dead until you told me he was dead. Now that I know he's dead, you wanna know how I feel about it? Feel the least bit bad about it. The same night, Vincent takes his boss, Marcellus Wallace's wife, Mia, on a date at the request of Marcellus. To one of the coolest places I've ever seen. Jackrabbit Slims. I love it. That, that's another thing. $500,000 the budget went towards Jackrabbit. So they just made that place for the movie. They yes. didn't use, that was just a set. Doesn't exist. Gotcha. They built it for the movie. They go to a 50s, again, a 50s themed restaurant called Jackrabbit Slims where they win a dance contest. Then Vincent has another situation to take care of after Mia overdoses. So... She had been doing cocaine earlier in the night. She wears Vincent's jacket home. She reaches in his pocket he's got thinking a, he's got cocaine. He's got a big dime bag. He's actually got a gigantic bag of pure heroin. So one snort of that, yeah, pretty much fucking kills her. So they go to the drug dealer's house to save her with an adrenaline shot to the heart. Eric Stoltz. Thus saving Mia's life and Vincent's because Marcellus would have killed him. Just like he threw Rocky Tony Horror off the <laughs> fourth, fourth story, story window <laughs> through a greenhouse. <laughs> For maybe rubbing her feet. Ugh. Immediately after, Butch flees from the fight. I mean, not surprisingly. He goes to his apartment to have his girlfriend gather their belongings and go to a motel. I think she's actually waiting for him at the motel. She forgets his gold watch. The gold watch. He flips the fuck out. Yes, he has to go back the next morning. Inside his apartment, he gets signals that someone else is in there, which maybe we'll talk about in logic. Vincent Vega emerges, Butch. So Vincent left his gun on the counter while he took a shit in Butch's apartment. Which is a theme. He so, likes to shit a yeah, lot. So when Vincent opens the door, Butch blows him away, kills him. Butch is back in a good in good spirits. He just killed a guy, but yet he's in the car, like tapping on the steering wheel, singing along. Well, that whole scene is Butch is going back home. Yeah. As somebody who has no idea what this movie's going to bring, I am used to when is shit going to pop yeah. off? Like he's going to get killed in his car. Yes. It's going to be a drive by. He's going to get hit by another car. No, no. So you're thinking, all right, he fucking made it out. And then he sees Marcellus <laughs> with donuts walking across the street. <laughs> and so Butch tries to run him over. They begin fighting. That's one of my, it's awesome scenes. So Marcellus has been hit by a car, but he tries to stand up, but he's doing the whole baby giraffe thing. Where he can't like stand as he's firing and a he's gun. firing a gun. He shoots the lady who's like <laughs> trying to check on Butch. Oops. It's so funny. So they, the fight spills over into a pawn shop, except for it's the wrong pawn shop to spill into. Yeah. The pawn shop owner kidnaps them, has his friend Zed, who's either what a police officer or a security officer. He's a security officer. He has Zed show up and rape Marcellus Wallace. Which fucking stunned me. Yes. I did not Very think uncomfortable. he was going to be raped. Butch escapes with a samurai sword, which again, all Tarantino movies are shared universe. So this was probably a Hattori Hanzo sword from Kill Bill. Uh, Kevin, don't forget about the fact that they let a buddy out of a fucking chest. Oh, they had a gimp. They, uh, was that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Said, well, bring out the gimp. 
He said, he's sleeping. <laughs> he says, go get him. And they just get him out of a chest. I don't know how long he's been there. But Butch escapes. He slashes them all with samurai sword. He rescues Marcellus. Marcellus shoots Zed in the dick. And uh, they put aside their differences as long on the condition, as long as Butch leaves town tonight does not come back he's lost all his la privileges and never mention this to anyone and ever the again end of the movie is whose motorcycle is this it's a chopper baby whose chopper is this it's zed's who's zed zed's dead baby that's <laughs> yeah. the end of the movie so let's get into characters john travolta as vincent vega so this saved john travolta's career big time what look who's talking look who's now talking was not doing anything for him <laughs> other than maybe keeping his electricity on so this movie absolutely saved john travolta and probably got him a bunch of work he didn't deserve because he went on to make like phenomenon, all phenomenon michael all these God, other movies yeah. face off face off so they had wanted this is funny they had wanted michael madsen to play that character but essentially the michael madsen character from reservoir dogs is vincent vega to the point where the story is their brothers so they're Vic Vega and Vincent Vega, our brothers. Okay. Michael Madsen was signed on to be in Wyatt Earp, so he couldn't do the movie. He really regrets it. Harvey Weinstein did not want John Travolta. I mean, it was a big gamble because he wasn't a movie star really at the time. Harvey Weinstein wanted Daniel Day-Lewis. Wow. Could you imagine... Well, Harvey Weinstein, as we learned, did not have the best judgment yes, ever. correct. So they supposedly, story goes, Travolta got cast because they only paid him like $100,000 for this movie. Fuck. Somewhere in that From range. what he was making, that was probably and a fortune. he was nominated for an Academy Award. And so Travolta still wants to make a Vega Brothers movie. I'm fine. Which it probably that ship has sailed. A what ship? The Sea Org ship? <laughs> Yes. Samuel Jackson is Jules Winfield, one of the greatest characters ever. It was phenomenal, but as I'm watching this, I'm like, that's it? He's gone already? Yeah. Like, shit. But pretty much from the beginning, Samuel Jackson was in the role because Tarantino says the script was written for, this seems, to ev I swear, every movie we do, Lawrence Fishburne's name comes up. <laughs> They're going to say Patrick Swayze. It wasn't Patrick Swayze. Lawrence Fishburne, he turned it down because he thought it glamorized heroin. So, well, kind of Uma Thurman is Mia Wallace. They wanted Holly Hunter, Meg Ryan or Meg Tilly, which is super kind of weird. Meg Tilly. Wow. Holly Hunter, Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan. What? Hey, no. Um, Sleepless in Seattle, then Pulp Fiction. Yes. Harvey Keitel. I think that they pretty much wanted him and he loved it. Tim Roth as Ringo slash pumpkin. They Tarantino wanted Tim Roth. Tristar had wanted Johnny Depp or Christian Slater. And I guess they considered... Gary Oldman. Gary Ooh. Oldman was also considered for Jules, which is a little weird. No. Uh, Amanda Plummer, which I think she was pretty much. So I married an expert. Yeah. They wanted her the whole time. Ving Rhames, Marcellus Wallace. They wanted Sid Haig. He As Marcellus it, Wallace. He turned it down. Yeah. Good thing they he said, went with Ving Rhames. They man. said Ving Rhames gave one of the best auditions they had ever seen, which I mean. It kind of helped him, too, because he went on to be in Mission Impossible, Con Air, Out of Sight. He went in on to be a bunch of movies. Yeah. Eric Stoltz as Lance. Awesome. Yes, he is really good. Uh, Rosanna Arquette as Jody. When Eric Stoltz asks him, he says, uh, do you want to stick around? Do you know, I can't remember her name. He says, but, uh, you know, we could like double date. And he's like, that, all that is that the one with all that shit in her face? He's like, that's my that's wife. My wife. <laughs> they laugh. Quentin Tarantino uh, considered Pam Greer, but he like Quentin Tarantino has a big thing for Pam Greer. He thinks she's a badass. She is. Well, yeah. So he wrote uh, Jackie Brown for she is Foxy Brown. The other funny thing is Ellen DeGeneres wrote read for the part of Jody. Could have been Ellen DeGeneres. Hmm. Christopher Walken as Captain Coons. Wow. Bruce Willis as Butch Coolidge. They, I think Bruce kind of wanted to do that Tarantino part. 
part, but they I could see sort that. of wrote the um, and then Tarantino's probably like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll do it. I'll be Jimmy. Yeah, I'll, I'll be Jimmy. Yeah. Well, he kind of does a little part in all of his movies. Yeah. Okay, so which actor actress gets a passable performance? Does any non-lead character steal scenes? Jim, who'd you like in this one? Okay, so initially, my number one was like, I fucking love Butch. Yeah. Love Butch. Love the whole, hey, I'm going to fuck Marcellus over. I'm going to knock this guy out, fucking kill him, jump out of the fucking building into a taxi cab, and then into the arms of an annoying girl who seemed like she was a four-year-old child. You were looking at yourself in the mirror and you wish you had some pot? Hey, pot. You pot belly. Pot bellies are sexy. Well, you should be happy. Because uh, you have one. Shut up, pot, so I don't have a pot. I have a bit of a tummy. Like Madonna when she did Lucky Star. It's not the same thing. I couldn't stand I it. I want a pot. But you want you want some pot? I want a pot, like a pot belly. Yeah, the whole pot belly thing and then oral gratification yeah, or yeah. and then all of a sudden Mr. Wolf walks into the uh, life my life. You're Jimmy, right? This is your house? Sure is. I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. Harvey Keitel played that role so brilliantly he didn't break yes he was like very like neutral like he's great this how it's gonna be are you if you don't if you fuck around with me right now i'm gonna leave you guys are up shit crick he has a plan he knows you two get a cleaner hey we had to be out of here a half hour his wife comes home we're not ruining his life he's so matter of fact he literally is the cleaner yeah he's the cleaner you call he knows the people. I to, love it. He knows well, the people. The junkyard and and they do. Tarantino does such, such a smart thing because why are we supposed to care about who this guy is? Except when Jules makes the phone call to Marcellus. Yeah, and he's like, "Listen, like we're in some shit. It's a big deal." And he's fucking and with he's, him. Yeah, and he's like, you know, I I just need some some reassurance. You sending the wolf? Oh, you feel better, motherfucker? Shit, Negro. That's all you had to say. And he goes, that's all you had to say. Like, he's like, he's like, oh, it's okay. You're sending the wolf. And the fact that fucking Tarantino's character just plays it off. Fuck. Listen, I got coffee. I already didn't fucking know about how great the fucking coffee is. I buy it. And then, like I told you before we started recording, Tarantino is very liberal with throwing around the N word. Oh, he does a lot. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Well, he. Yeah. It's, it's very awkward. It's very weird. To the point where I wonder if Sam Jackson, yeah. even in his own mind, go, okay, man, fuck enough it with it. comes off, in retrospect, very try hard. <sighs> like, he did not have to do that. If he said it once. Yes. Okay. Well, Eric Stoltz says it. Yeah. And for that character, it seems... He's a drug dealer. He's a drug dealer who has an opinion. You know, it's like, it's a little bit more organic, but Tarantino saying it, it's like, okay, you're a married dude from the suburbs. This seems real try hard. Your friend, Jules, is black and you're just throwing it at him. Yeah. It's a little too much. I... So my favorite thing with the wolf is when he asks, he needs linens. We need to read your linen closet. I need blankets, I need comforters, I need quilts, I need bedspreads. The thicker the better, the darker the better. No whites. Can't use them. We need to camouflage the interior of the car. We're going to line the front seat and the back seat and the floorboards with quilts and blankets. So if a cop stops us and starts sticking his big snout in the car, the subterfuge won't last. But at a glance, the car will appear to be normal. Jimmy, lead the way. Boys, get to work. Oh, when they're in his Jimmy's yeah. bedroom. And he goes, um, this is my... Aunt Ginny and Uncle and whatever his name is, and he yeah. goes, "These are our wedding linens." And uh, is your Aunt Ginny a millionaire? He's like, "Cause your Uncle Marcellus is." And he's like, "Do you like oak?" <laughs> he pretty much pulls out a lot of cash, gives to him, and he's like, "Here, buy yourself a new bedroom." Set. There are a lot of times with Harvey Keitel, he comes across a lot like De Niro. Yeah, 
a very De Niro yeah, character. Yeah, I could totally see De Niro. It is so good. But he, yeah, the wolf. Uh, he drives the Acura really fast. The NSX, I, which is awesome. I drive fast, so keep up. Yeah, yeah I love that's, it. That's really good. I like Eric Stoltz. She's getting a shot. I'm going to go get my little black medical book. What the fuck you need a medical book for? What to do? I never had to give it a drama. You never give it an adrenaline. Well, I never had to, all right? I don't go toy popping with a bunch of bubble gunners. My face can't handle that. Get shot. shot. Look, I am if you let me. I suffer fucking stop. Well, you stop talking to me. Start talking get to her. Shot. Eric Stoltz is great. I mean, it's like Tarantino with Travolta, with Eric Stoltz. He's kind of always found something in actors that other people don't see. Because John Travolta made Michael and Phenomenon. Like we said, these kind of bogus sort of roles. But Tarantino is like, I'm going to pull blood from a stone with Tarantino. I'm going to make Eric Stoltz a drug dealer, a heroin dealer. Like, let's face facts. Eric Stoltz at this time. Yeah, right. You're nothing. No, exactly. So Tarantino's always had this knack for pulling these performances out of actors. Hey, I loved you in uh, uh, Some Kind of Wonderful. Yeah. That's a great fucking movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into best scenes. I'll go first. This is your, one of your favorite movies of all time. The entire briefcase scene. So they're having a conversation about Tony Rocky Horror. So Vincent's going to take me on a date. So he's kind of asking Jules about what Mia's like and stuff. So they walk up. We get this like almost like 10 minute scene of them just building suspense, just walking through a building, talking about, you know, Mia Wallace. They knock on the door to go in this apartment. Now, if you were involved in some nefarious shit and you knew you fucked somebody over and these two dudes show up at your door, you know what they're there for. They're hitmen. You're about you're about to lose your life. Yeah. But for what move Jules pulls, it's so he walks smooth. in the apartment and he goes, Looks like me and Vincent caught you boys at breakfast. Sorry about that. Did you have it? Hamburgers. Hamburgers! The cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. What kind of hamburgers? Cheeseburgers. No, 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 no. Where'd you get them? McDonald's, Wendy's, Jack in the Box, where? Uh, Big Kahuna Burger. Big Kahuna Burger? That's that Hawaiian burger joint. I hear they got some tasty burgers. I ain't never had one myself. How are they? What? You having some breakfast? He's like, you know what they call a Royale with cheese in Europe? Or you know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese? A quarter pounder with cheese in, in Europe. And he says, because of the metric system. And he goes, oh, check out the big brain on bread. <laughs> and uh, he says, what you eating? And he says, big kahuna burger. He goes, that's that Hawaiian burger joint. And he uh, he starts eating his fucking hamburger. Yeah, it takes a good hunk of it out. And he goes, what kind of hamburger are you eating? And he says, uh, cheeseburgers. He goes, no, no, where is it from? And then he, he eats, I think, most of the rest of the burger. And he says, what are you, uh, what are you drinking? He drinks... All of the Sprite. He drinks in Down one drink. Slurp. It's great. It's just this close up on his face, slurping the Sprite. And he's like, ah, that hit the spot. He starts kind of interrogating Brett. You know, he says, where's the briefcase? They said, it's in the cupboard, you know, so on and so forth. Well, Brett, knowing what's about to go down, tries to plead his case. And he starts to stand up. He starts to stand so, up no, and he goes, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't catch your name. And, uh, I, I caught his, it's Vincent. What's, what's your name? And he goes, he just fucking shoots the guy on the couch, which initially I was like, is he dead? Cause it didn't seem like a yeah. kill shot. There's no blood. No, but he just, while Brett's talking, Jules just shoots the guy on the couch, kills him, you know, at least mortally wounds him, whatever. And Brett like instantly is shaken. And, uh, that's when we get this play a, a clip of the, the what, what does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country are you from? What? what? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? It's so funny. I love it. Because what ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? And he's getting more and more yeah. nervous. Yes. Like, oh shit, oh what? shit. What? Does he look like a bitch? What? <laughs> 
that's just so great. And then uh, we see the first reveal or of what might be in the briefcase. That scene's just dialogue from the whole walk up to the apartment. It's a lot. The apartment is amazing. It's yeah. so well written. It's really good. In that apartment building comes my first one. It's where they're talking about why Marcellus threw that guy out of a four-story window for rubbing feet. And Jules is like, listen, you, I compare that to eating some girl's pussy. Yeah. And they're going back and forth between a foot massage and eating pussy. And Vincent's like, I ain't saying it's right, but you're saying a foot massage don't mean nothing. I'm saying it does. And look, I've given a million ladies a million foot massages, and they all meant something. We act like they don't, but they do. I mean, that's what's so fucking cool about them. There's a sensuous thing going on where, where, you know, you don't talk about it, but you know it, she knows it. Fucking Marcellus knew it. And Antoine should have fucking better known better. Yeah, it's intimate. Yeah. So you have to understand like it is. And Jules like, fuck, no, it's not the same but fucking then, thing. But then Vincent asks him, yeah. would, you rub a, would you rub a man's feet? Fuck no. Yeah, so he kind of makes his point. You yeah. know, a, a foot massage. I wouldn't want anybody massaging my wife's feet. First off, I think feet are fucking disgusting yeah, I'm not to begin a feet with. Person. I don't want anybody touching my old no. ass feet with my calluses and shit. I don't want to touch a girl's feet. I'm not into it. So I get how a foot can be considered intimate. I mean, I, I don't want anybody rubbing my wife's feet. No. But I'm not going to throw anybody off a fourth story <laughs> balcony for rubbing her feet. I'll be like, hey, man, what fucking weirdo? That's it. I'm not going to kill a motherfucker. Or at least have him walk with a limp the rest of his life. All right. I know you, uh, you mentioned that, but go ahead and give us your next one. My next one is it plays right off of the foot thing. When Vincent and me are on their date. Yes. She goes to the bathroom and says, when you come back, I want you to ask me a question. Think about something yeah. because she brings up the okay. fact. So that's that's one of my best scenes as well. So yeah. Vincent has to take Mia out. He's really nervous to do so. Because he doesn't want to end up dead. Yes, basically. He's like, I'm just taking my friend's wife out. Going to show her a good time. And like you even he's said, nervous. Marcella, Marcella, it's, it's a combination of Marcella and Mia. They don't really have a traditional wedding. No. They don't talk to one another. It's no. just they're married. So Vincent, we get the classic uh, gif where he walks in, puts his hands up because just, she's talking over the intercom. He can't. And he's and also high he's, off his ass. He's off, he came straight from the drug dealer's house. So she tells him make himself a drink. He does. He waits for her to get ready. She does some cocaine. They go to Jackrabbit Slim. Such a cool place, man. So it's a 50s. Like Richard Nixon is the, the hostess host. Yeah. And then you've got Mimi Van. Doran and you've got Buddy Holly and Marilyn Monroe but Buddy Holly is Steve Buscemi yes you got the uh it doesn't hold up so well but the five dollar milkshake yeah because now a milkshake's like a minimum of five dollars yeah but you get the uh it's funny because Vincent takes a drink of the milkshake and he says god damn that's a pretty fucking good milkshake not five dollars worth yeah but, but it's not. good but then he eats a bloody steak she eats a bloody hamburger they do a dance contest they reserve a car like a booth inside which a car. is such a fucking smart Dude, idea why awesome. nobody has decided to ever do that yeah but the thing that blows my mind about that whole scene too it's not just the aesthetic it's not just the atmosphere because even what makes it better is Vincent is so fucked up. Yeah. And she comes out of the bathroom, you know, just snorted cocaine in front of all these women to just seem oblivious yeah. to the fact that she just did a rail. And she says, I said, God damn. But I love the fact that there at one point they're sitting there in the car and it's just silence Yeah, for maybe 20 seconds. Yep. And you're thinking, why didn't Tarantino edit this? And then she even says, there's something amazing about just having yeah. silence. You don't have to have some bullshit talk. So she's like, I'm going to go powder my nose. Think of something to ask me. Yeah. And then we'll talk about it. So she comes back and she's like. So do you think of something to say? 
Actually, I did. So it goes back to my first favorite scene. Yes. He brings up the foot question. Yes. What did you uh, think about what happened to Antoine? Who's Antoine? Tony Rocky Horror. You know him. He fell out of a window. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that is one way to say it. Another way to say it would be that he was thrown out. Another way would be was he was thrown out by Marcellus. And yet even another way is to say he was thrown out of a window by Marcellus because of you. Is that a fact? No, no, it's not a fact. It's just what I heard. It's just what I heard. And it's just like fucking brilliant. Yeah, yep. And and her response to it was great. I loved it. Yeah, he's so it's so funny. And it's 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 such a middle school sort of way where he's like, Well, I don't want to offend you. Will you promise not to get offended? She's like, You can't promise not to get offended if you don't know what you're gonna ask. And then he's like, Well, forget it. And she's like, No, you can't forget it. And he's like, Well, it's too big of a thing to forget. And then he says, Basically, did Tony Rocky Horror rub your feet? And then is that why Marcellus threw him? Yeah. And uh yeah, it's so but you know. The, the genius thing about that scene too, we see them, she basically says, you were hired to show me a good time. I want to win that trophy. So you better dance good. He's fucking awesome. At John dancing. Travolta is all, well, I mean, for God's sakes, it's John, it's fucking Saturday that Night iconic, Fever. iconic, I think they're dancing to a, a, a different, a Chuck Berry B-side. But if you don't know this movie, like I didn't know this movie, yeah. I literally thought they were dancing to, Dick Dale? Yeah. I didn't know it. So yeah, they use a lot of like the surf rock music in this, the Dick Dale. But yeah, so they dance to this Chuck Berry B-side fucking awesome but then it fades to black and when it resumes from the fade she's tossing him the keys they're going in the house she's got his jacket on it looks like they're gonna fuck he goes to the bathroom and he's having a talk with himself i like, love it i he, love it he wants he goes, you know he wants the banger yeah he wants to make like, out with her he's like you're gonna go home jerk off that's it that's it. And, and he keeps, as she's fucking finds his bag finds and does bag, a rail. She thinks it's cocaine. It's heroin. And yeah, I, at least I assume she thinks it's cocaine. It's pure heroin. She snorts it. He comes out of the bathroom like, all right, me, I'm leaving. And it's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> the phone call. So to, yeah. You should run. Uh, go to. Which, and then he plows right into the dude's house. I, when you look at that, I think he fucked the guy's he, foundation he up. He did structural damage to the fucking house, and he still drove the car home. Yeah, it's great. He's going a thousand miles an hour in that car. You know, as somebody who didn't see this movie before, I appreciate the fact that Vincent Vega as a character seems like fresh out into the new world teenager who just got a car for the first time and he's learning all this shit as he goes. It, it goes not just from the day with Mia, him trying to realize good from bad. And even when he blows Marvin's face off, yeah, he pushed it off like, uh, like a kid. Like I didn't know uh, you hit a bump. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of people had a problem with just the casual violence in this movie. Oh, it's casual is an understatement. Kill people and they just don't have any remorse, but in a way they do. So I, I'll mention, you know, sh they shoot Marvin in the face. They, they leave. So there is a scene, which I know you like. So we get the first half of the apartment scene, which I mentioned, they go back to it later. When they go back to it, you find out there was a dude in the bedroom while they shot Brett. They shot the dude on the couch. Yeah. They have an inside man who's cowering in the corner. What they did not know is there was a dude in the other room who comes out and unloads the gun at them. And misses every does shot. Does not hit a single shot. They turn around and there's bullet holes in the wall where they should have been. This was divine intervention. You know what divine intervention is? I think so. That means that God came down from heaven and stopped the bullets? That's right. That's exactly what it means. God came down from heaven and stopped these motherfucking bullets. Except they didn't get shot. They kill him. Jules 
thinks, okay, I'm retiring. This is divine intervention. I'm, I'm out. out. This is it. I'm going to wander the earth like Kane from Kung Fu. And Vincent. <laughs> Mr. Reality. Is like. You're a fucking bum. Well, yeah. He's saying Jesus Christ and God damn it. He's blaspheming. He's like, it's not. It's just luck. This shit happens. But while he's saying that, that's when he turns around to talk to Marvin. And he's like, you ever seen any shit like that? As and the gun is cocked. the gun. And the gun goes off and fucking blows <laughs> Marvin's face off. <laughs> and he, he turns. Fucking. <laughs> Just yeah, chucks brain. a brain all in his hair. <laughs> and then he turns and he goes, I think I just shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> we got to do something with this car. It's the middle of the day in LA. Yeah. And then, you know, we talked about it at length already. They go, the wolf comes, cleans up the car, basically has them wipe up as much of the visual blood as possible, put linens over it, put Marvin in the trunk. Spray him down in the backyard. And Jules is cleaning up the brain. I could blow. Oh, oh, you ready to blow? Yeah, I'm ready to blow. Well, I'm a mushroom cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker. Every time my fingers touch brain, I'm super fly TNT. I'm the guns of the Navarone. In fact, what the fuck am I doing in the back? You the motherfucker should be on brain detail. Uh. And Vincent's cleaning the windows. And he's like, why am I cleaning the brain? He's like, you get back here, clean the brain. And then, yeah, sprays them down uh, with the hose. And then we see how they got those clothes when they show up at Marcellus's bar. Yes. And then uh, I will say, so but the opening scene with Honey Bunny and Pumpkin, they're bank robbers, but they basically are like, we're risking everything to rob these small scores. He's like, why don't we start robbing restaurants? Well, as Tarantino movies where everything connects, they happen to rob the wrong restaurant because Jules and Vincent are there. So, Jules and Vincent have this big conversation about that whole Ezekiel, you know, who is the uh, tyranny of evil men? Who's the shepherd? All of that is a uh, religious overtones. And basically they foil the robbery. <laughs> Vincent goes, takes his shit. Yes. But again, so from a religious standpoint, we assume Jules is retiring. Vincent gets killed. Which blows my you mind. Know, he, I did not expect that. No, he gets killed by by butch and uh yeah so it's interesting i'm i'm not gonna mention the uh the pawn shop scene i mean it is it's heavy it's just it's heavy it is it is absolutely heavy they stumble into the wrong pawn shop and uh, the most racist fucking weird I, pawn shop i do like when butch is trying on weapons though because he's gonna leave butch gets out knocks out the gimp and he hears out, him being raped and he hears him being raped and he's gonna walk out the door but he sides you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna help him and it's like he picks up a a baseball bat, a hammer, a chainsaw, a chainsaw. He kind of rocks the chainsaw back and forth, like to try it out. And then he sees the, the sword and he goes back down with the sword. And then, uh, yeah. The one last scene I will mention is <laughs> I got it written down here. In my nose ass watch walking. Mm -hmm. In one place he knew he could hide something his ass five long years. He wore this watch up his ass. Then he died of dysentery. He'd give me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass two years. Then, after seven years, I was sent home to my family. Now, little man, I give the watch to you. Now, that whole watching took a turn when Walken decides to look into the camera like he's looking into Butch's eyes mm -hmm. and graphically tells him, your father knew he was done for. I love it. He shoved the watch up his ass. Yeah. He died. I got, what did he get the watch out of his ass, shoved it up his ass? Yeah. He, so he has a two brown watch. He tells him the whole story of his great grandfather, his grandfather, his father, father. Everybody's storing the watch up their ass. He gives it to a, a Japanese guy who, you know, understands the importance to bring this watch to him. So that's why the watch is like this overtone for Butch. It gives him a storyline where it's like how important this watch is to him. It's a kid. But walk. Yeah. His mom's <laughs> just standing back there. Nothing. And then Walken is telling him like all about. Is Christopher Walken as Christopher Walken can be. Yeah. It's great. Here's the thing. 
would you want to have a watch that you know has been up your father's ass and your father's best friend's ass? Here's the watch. I, you know, it's weird to me that Butch didn't fight in Desert Storm. Yeah. Because yeah. his great-grandfather, his grandfather, his father. In the maybe, military. Maybe Captain Coon showing up was too much for him to join well, the military. Yeah, I don't, he's like, I don't want to shove Talking this watch up my ass. He's a POW, so he's like, I'm going to be a, a pugilist. Yeah. All right, so why don't I don't think there's a pool in this one. We might walk by one in a backyard of L.A. I'm not sure. Regardless, let's get out for the first pool check of the season. Everybody out of the pool check. So Tarantino has this mastery of using songs in his movies. And sometimes like there's like a Rick Ross song in Django, which is weird because it's like a modern song in a movie, you know, it takes place in the late 1800s, early 1900s, whatever. And, uh, but he always like just finds these songs popular or, you know, obscure or either way. It just works so well. And uh, so for that reason, this week's pool check, it's we're going to pick five random songs that you might not have heard of. Yeah, you maybe you haven't heard of them. Maybe you're not familiar. Obscure. Just five random songs that we want to name. So that's where we're going to start. I'll go ahead and go first. So this one, unfortunately, not on Spotify, but it can be found on YouTube. Really, really gets going about 50 seconds with the uh, MIDI guitar. And that's the RoboCop Game Boy theme. Ah, it's awesome. I love the RoboCop Game Boy theme. So good. Speaking of, so every, we always talk about, we want somebody to send us a McDonald's pizza box. Somebody send me a life-size RoboCop. Like a full-on? I want a RoboCop like. What happens if somebody does? You get a knock on your door and you're like, oh my God, this could be RoboCop, but it's from the RoboCop remake. Oh. You got the Joel Kinnaman you RoboCop. You probably get that for like eight bucks. I'm pretty sure I saw it at Dollar Tree. So yeah, just the, the RoboCop Game Boy theme, it's really, it has... It's better than it has any business being. Dude, that's smart. I didn't even think about going into video game music. Yeah. You could use that movie, that song in a movie. Like you might have to use like real instruments. Yeah. But it's so good. So my number five, of course, a lot of these, some of these I had to harken back to maybe not so obscure movies, but songs that maybe weren't the artist's number one song. This is a song I heard from Adventures in Babysitting, and it's Edwin Starr. Now, a lot of people are familiar with Edwin Starr's War. Oh, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. This is a song called 25 Miles. 25 Miles from Home, Girl. My feet are hurting It's on Spotify. This song was used at the end when the babysitter, when Elizabeth, you had to get the kids back home before the parents come home. It is such a good, like, I got 25 miles to go. Yeah, it's Edwin Starr just fucking belting it out. I didn't know this song at all growing up. And the song came out in the 60s, maybe early 70s. Fucking amazing song. I know a lot of you out there have never heard it. So go check it out on Spotify. Edwin Starr, double R. War, not sorry. War is what he's known for, but this is 25 miles. I have uh, one that I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners don't know. It is the King of Rock and Roll by Prefab Sprout. It was an 80s uh, weird song. I play it all the time. You would recognize it if, if you heard it, Jim. It is, uh, it's the one that sounds like the chorus says, hot dog, jump and fart. I want a cookie. I but, probably wouldn't know that. But the chorus is actually hot dog, jumping frog, Albuquerque. What the fuck? It's so weird, but 
I love the music video. I love the song. It's super duper weird. Should have been in every 80s movie type of song. I would have heard of the song then. Yeah, you know it. Would I? Yeah. Okay, so my number four is one of my personal late 80s favorites. And maybe some of you know it, but I don't know why I like it. I just do. It's Boy Meets Girl Waiting for a Star to Fall. Okay. It's a good song. Uh, it might it might have been featured in a movie or two or maybe a commercial campaign. I don't know. But it, there's just something, you know, waiting for a star to fall. Might go, oh, that song. Yeah. And that's why I went with Boy Meets Girl. I have another 80s one that's uh, a little obscure that not a lot of people, but this one makes me want to fucking rage. We listened to this a couple times on the way back from our Kennywood trip. Dancing in Heaven, Orbital Bebop by Q Feel. I love this song. It's oh got this God. whole like space kind of countdown sort of feel. And it's just this like pounding synth. And it's just, uh, it's great. I never thought we'd get our feet back on the ground sort of thing. And it's thinking about our Kennywood uh, trip coming home. I really hope one of the songs that I'm thinking of is on your list. <laughs> I'm hoping that might be a little preview. My number three. And this is from something you recommended to me after watching the Bee Gees documentary, which is phenomenal. Check it out on HBO Max. For the longest time, being ignorant to the Bee Gees as I have been, you're thinking BJ's, oh, they created disco. Yeah. They're a disco band. Right. Not at all. Not at all. They've been around since the 50s. This is a Bee Gees song you might not be aware of. The Bee Gees New York Mining Disaster. I keep straining my ears to hear a sound. Maybe someone is digging underground. A fucking great song. I was torn between this and Massachusetts. Massachusetts is fantastic. It's and so as I started a joke, both of those BG songs are just wow. Like some of the greatest songwriting ever. Yeah. Great melodies. Just awesome. But awesome it's ridiculous. Stuff. And I kick myself in the ass for not really. We, I mean, knowing musical history like yeah, that, be like, my, okay, was staying alive. My, all this. Know, my best friend growing up, me and Morgan, we used to just make fun of the Bee Gees all the time. They were the, a walking for the joke, Bar the Barry Gibb falsetto noise, <laughs> and yeah, all of that. We used to make fun of the Bee Gees, and then to find out, like, wait a minute, the Bee Gees are fucking awesome, and they took the fucking blame for di disco demolition night was a fucking racist record burning and also a fuck you to the Bee Gees, yeah, it was bad. which is fucked up. All right. This one you got to put on the playlist and you got to make it to the end of the song. It's sorry. 2004 by Ruben Stutter. Oh my God. You got to hear the part <laughs> that I always replay a couple times. I, if my wife's in the car, if Jim's in the car, oh I'm like, God, we always do. It says, so the whole song is an apology. This is my sorry for 2004. It's like a preemptive. I'm apologizing now for all of the shit. Now, in case you guys I'm forgot, done. Ruben stuttered one season two of American Idol. Yes. So Ruben, at the end of the song, you get the the uh, breakdown and he says, All them strip cubs, all them hot tubs, like no more three ways. I'm like, wait a minute, Ruben. How many hot tubs? How many strip clubs? How many three ways? Do you think Ruben had a lot of sex after American Idol? I would hope because that's he's probably big, his big chance. Boy. That was his chance to have the sex. Justin Guarini and, you know, Ruben Stoddard and... 
Yeah. Bo Bice and all these. They were getting so much trim. Daughtry. Daughtry. They were fucking everyone. But yeah, Ruben at the end of the song. It's just, preemptive. It's a pretty standard R&B song. You know, this my sorry for 2004. I ain't going to mess up no more. But then when you get to the all the hot tubs, all the strip clubs, no more three ways. It's like, what? He's bored. He's like, I'm fucking over this, man. Yeah. I want some real love. Speaking of real love, my number two comes from the movie Teen Wolf. It's Mark Safe and Win in the End, which is... Wow. Where it's such a great fucking like, it's not, it's not a rock song per se, but it's the fact that within Teen Wolf, he doesn't want to be Teen Wolf anymore. He wants to be, listen, I'm Scott Howard. I, we're gonna, I'm going to do this without the wolf. And they proceed and they're getting their ass kicked by the rival high school. They're Valley. I can't remember his name, but it's uh, the one hot girl. That was her boyfriend. He was a real dick towards Scott because he was like a dorky little guy. Yeah. And then as they're rallying back, they play the song. Yeah. It's so fucking good. Yeah. Come on. Win in the end, Mark Safin. I I think it's on YouTube. I don't think it's on but Spotify. But what song's featured in Teen Wolf 2? Jason Bateman. Oh, it's... Uh, um, <laughs> Is there a song featured? I don't know. I'm trying to think. I can't remember. I have... I want to be your man by Roger. So this is a um like a vocoder like uh, Roger Troutman vocal effect. Yep. Like this is like a low rider song. It's fucking awesome. And uh there's like this is like a windows down definite sort of vibe to this this sort of song. They've got a bunch of hits. This one's probably the best. No nucleus. No nucleus. <laughs> Jam on it. So my my number one should be no surprise to anybody. It's Orange Juice Jones the Rain. Come on, like not that many people know of Orange Juice Jones. The dude, the video alone is fucking great. I mean, he's got the awesome fade. He's walking yeah. in the rain, got a menthol and the fucking line. The last the talk down part. The talk down part is the part. And yeah. I remember being younger and skipping by. I'm like, I can't fucking give a shit what he's saying. But he's talking about following his girlfriend and the man she's cheating on him with yeah. down the road, wanting to do a Rambo on him. Yeah. Talking about stealing in quotes, all the jewelry. <laughs> And the the Who you five thousand dollar Lynx coat, <laughs> silly rabbit chicks for kids. Uh, the cornbread without the milk. Cornbread without the milk. Cornflakes. Cornflake. Cornbread. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Same thing. Okay. I had one more bonus. Adult education by Hall and Oates. Oh God. So which good. is a pretty popular song, but I always wanted to take that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that chorus and uh, sample it in a rap song. I just think so it, would, cool. it would make a really cool sample. You for know what another Hollow Notes song I always appreciated was Method of Modern Love? Yeah, there's a lot of great Hollow Notes. I mean, Fuck. we could do a Hollow Notes podcast for sure. We should. All right, let's get back in the pool. Everybody back in the pool! Critical question, which you probably could have guessed if you're familiar with this podcast and you've been with us for six seasons so far. Would Bill Paxton been in the sequel? Yes. <laughs> yes. Which actor, actresses should get the Tarantino treatment? Meaning, again, he has this tendency to put an actor or actress in his movie and just get everything out of them that maybe other directors didn't or like Ooh. provide this resurgence for him. Whoopi Goldberg. It could be. Yeah. But then again, even if there are some out there 
that are having a successful career, I would love to see like Tarantino's touch on him. Yes. Like Jessica Chastain. Right. I would love to see her well, in like he, a he finally got like Brad Pitt and Glorious yeah. Bastards and Leonardo DiCaprio in Django. Okay, this is gonna be a quarterback. This is gonna be a Hail Mary throw. I would love to have seen and this is when he was in his prime. So I'm going to say anywhere from 87 to 92. I would love to have seen Tarantino work with Albert Brooks. Yeah. Because I think that would have been tremendous. Like, I mean, I'm it a, could still happen. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying he's be, dead. He has to be a much different character. We did get that Albert Brooks, that dark Albert Brooks character kind of in uh, Drive. Yeah. Where he's like, a, not a hitman, but he's like, a, you know. But could you imagine like a Quentin Tarantino directed Defending Your Life movie? It'd be crazy. Holy shit. I, so I've got a couple. So he was in True Romance, not a Tarantino movie, directed by Tony Scott, written by Tarantino, but you got Christian Slater. Oh yeah. Christian Slater, because how much did Slater dominate the 80s and early 90s? He was in everything. He's in a bunch of like adjacent movies that we would do on this podcast. You know, Pump Up the Volume and- Gleaming uh, the Cube. Gleaming the Cube. He's just in a ton of stuff. The Wizard, Uh, we covered it. The Wizard, we covered it. And so Christian Slater, who I think can still go because he's like in Mr. Robot, like Christian Slater would be really good. One that actually was cast in a Tarantino movie, wouldn't do it, Will Smith. Yeah. Which Will Smith is up for, he's probably going to maybe win a Best Actor Oscar this year for, um, one. Of, it's like a Shakespeare okay. period piece type thing. I um, Robot again. I think it's King Arthur. I don't know. Okay. But uh, anyway, Tarantino, he was supposed to, or uh, Tarantino was going to play Will Smith in Django and Will Smith decided that he thought that Django wasn't the main character that, you know, the other um, King Schultz character got you know was actually the main character so anyway will smith didn't do it that'd be great for for you know actresses probably jennifer lawrence okay because like she's done the david o russell movies and stuff but i i could just totally see her doing a tarantino you know shoot up like sort of violent movie and be great in <laughs> tarantino it. does the squid game movie yeah <laughs> So yeah, I, I Schwarzenegger. Think, let us know who you think should get Quentin Tarantino. Like, like he put Don Johnson in Django. Yeah. Like he's had just a bunch of Kevin, like, aren't you fucking excited that the USA Network announced that they're bringing back Nash Bridges with him and Cheech Marin? What? It's literally just going to be a TV series or it might be a one-off USA movie, but Nash Bridges is coming back. Weird. Can't they fucking bring back Miami Vice instead? I'll yeah. see old Crockett. Okay. Where's Philip Michael Thomas? Let's get into some logic. Well, it could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. There's one. Put Wahlberg in a... Oh, dude. Hell yeah. Wahlberg in a Tarantino movie. Uh, First, I'll say, I don't have a ton. Why would Marcellus Wallace be walking across the street? With donuts. With donuts. He wouldn't do that himself. He would have a lackey. He would have a lackey. He's got Paul, the the guy in the bar who says, I'm Paul. What's he say? It's like, uh, I'm Paul and that's for y'all. Like or something. But he would have Paul or one of these other guys do it. Not him. It's just, it's it's for plot convenience that Marcellus is standing in the street when Butch is leaving. But Marcellus wouldn't be walking in anywhere and getting his own shit. No. He's got too many enemies. He's a crime boss. Like he's he's not going to. Call me stupid if I am. And I'll admit there's certain things I'm real dumb about. The bandit on the back of Marcellus's head yeah is that we're yeah we're gonna get to that next okay okay now I will say the so the common story with this movie so the whole plot even though I read the long form the whole plot is like Marcellus has made a big bet on a fight Butch is supposed to throw that fight besides Butch how many fights do you think you got in you anyway two 
boxes don't have an old times thing. They're both going to make a bunch of money off of it. Get rich. Butch decides not to throw that fight. Now, there's some funny nuance if you watch. So you've got the whole, when they're playing Meow Green, let's stay together. And you've got Jules and Vincent showing back up in that, you know, UC Santa Slug shirt. Or yeah. Santa Cruz slug shirt. They're wearing the clothes that they got from Jimmy. And they come back into Marcellus's bar. Butch is there. Butch comes over to the bar to order two packs of Red Apple cigarettes. If you're familiar with Tarantino, Red Apple cigarettes are pretty much in every Tarantino movie. The other things that he works into his movie is he's... Tarantino is a huge collector of television show themed board games. So like if there's a Mr. Belvedere board game or something like he collects all of those. Fuck, that'd be great. He collects all these like TV themed board games. And there's a ton of them. He works them into this movie. But when Butch comes to the bar to buy cigarettes, Vince and Vega stand in there and they kind of instantly have heat. He says like, uh, what are you staring at? And he's like, nothing. What are you staring? You know, they have this whole thing. But then there's all these nuances in Tarantino movies. So when, when Vincent's shooting up at the drug dealer's uh, house or apartment, he tells him, some, you, you still got the Nova? And he says, yeah, can you believe some fucker keyed it? Yeah. It was Butch who keyed his car right at that scene. You never see it. Oh. But when Butch leaves the bar, he keys the car. Holy shit. So there's all these like subtle things that you'll pick up on the more you watch these together. movies. Okay. I don't know if Butch decided, the, the whole reason I mentioned that is I don't know if Butch decided not to throw the fight because of that. You know what I mean? Like they're supposed to be in this, this together, Marcellus and Butch. He's going to throw the fight. They're both going to make a shit ton of money. But for some reason, he can't do it. He can't do it. He is, it's, you know, it might be the pride speech. He fucking killed a guy. Yeah. So he doesn't throw the fight and he has to run. So Marcellus, the, the theme was always what people always assumed is that Marcellus sold his soul. He bet his soul on the fight. His soul is in the briefcase. Now in Chinese culture, they used to extract the soul out of the back of the head. All right. So that, so there's it. a bandaid on it. Now the real story goes, Marcellus used to shave his head or something, got a cut, showed up to set with a bandaid from where he cut his neck. And Tarantino said, you know what? keep it i like it so just had him keep the band-aid for the scene all right but how much added depth does it add to question why there's a band-aid on his head smart if you believe it you know marcellus bet his soul on the fight that's why you know it glows when they open the suitcase it was extracted through the back of his head that's why he's got the band-aid but all Tarantino movies share a universe, so there's a theory that it's the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs, it's Elvis's gold suit from True Romance. I mean, it could be a number of things. I mean, Jim, what do you think was in the briefcase? <laughs> I went real deep. I said it was righteousness. I mean, it was Jules's righteousness. It's the whole fact that he quoted Ezekiel three times. Yeah in this movie and then every time he opened the suitcase to reveal what's in there it was jewels that revealed what was in the suitcase and it just seemed to me everything that jewels thought everything he read from that passage what he believes religiousness wise his religiosity his righteousness is what he can't let tim ross character take he can't let anybody else take because that's him. Yeah. That's his essence. That's his, not soul, but his true belief. And it's meant for him and only him. I think people see what they want to see, but what Jules sees is his righteousness. Yeah. See, that's interesting to say. It's sort of like a, um, it's like a, they've got these things in other movies where you look into something and you see your deepest desire, your deepest yeah. fear or whatever. Maybe it's something like that, you know, but maybe it, I'm reading too much into it. Well, it's interesting. But Tarantino I, I like said, it's whatever you think. It's whatever you think, whatever you want. I mean, because in truth, they were just like, well, it looks cool if we put a light bulb in it. Yeah. You know, when we open it up, it'll glow and there's a light bulb in it. And they just thought that was cool. Yeah. But how, again, how much depth does it add? Or maybe Tarantino will call after he listens to that. So he's like, man, that, 
It's Q. <laughs> Fucking great. Fucking great idea. So what's the legacy of this movie? I, I would say it's probably Tarantino's masterpiece. I mean, it's not my favorite, but... It's a preserved movie now. It is. In the Library it's, of Congress. Yes, it was... Uh, it sets the table for his themes and motifs, such again... If you watch Tarantino movies, every time something happens in a bathroom, it's important. So every, like, every time there's a bathroom in a Tarantino movie, something important is happening or going to happen. In this movie... For example, Vincent, it goes in the bathroom, Mia overdoses. Vincent goes in the bathroom, he comes out and gets killed. Vincent goes to the bathroom. There's a hostage. Or there's a, a hostage. Up. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, exactly. A robbery. There's always something. And, and this happens in Kill Bill. This happens in pretty much all of, you know, in Reservoir Dogs, you get, you finally get the reveal with Tim Roth learning his soliloquy so that he can go undercover and work this robbery. I mean, there's always something. So this, this movie really starts to set the stage for a lot of what follows with Tarantino. So, I mean, it's it's really good. I mean, I, I really like it. I've watched it a million times. I'm really happy to be covering on this podcast because it's something just totally different from what and we normally do. I thought I hate this movie. Yeah. I literally was like, fuck, I'm, this movie's going to suck. Yeah. And initially, I was that opening scene, not knowing anything about this movie, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a slog. <laughs> Shit. Fuck. It's got a... I wish this was space camp. See, that's what I was thinking. It's got a lot of balance between enough humor throughout it. Yeah. You know, that's like stuff that's probably shouldn't be funny. I mean, when he blew the dude's face off, I'm sitting there by myself going, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus. Yeah. And just the whole reaction to it. I think I shot Marvin in the face. This movie is an emotional roller coaster. You go from that funny scene where a guy's head gets blown yeah. off and then you literally see Marcellus getting raped. Yes. You're like, fuck. Like, yeah. This is really fucking happening right now to get the fucking needle. Get the fucking needle. I felt bad. A magic marker. <laughs> Mark it. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. Everything in this movie is just like is structured in a way. And there's a lot more. We, I mean, we could talk about it. We could do a four hour podcast. Oh, God. Pulp yeah. Fiction. Um, you know, there's another writer involved in this who pretty much they were writing like separate stories almost to make like a trilogy, but made it in, like they were going to make shorts. And then they were like, well, nobody will finance a short. Let's make a feature length. And it became this. And Tarantino bought out the other guy, convinced him to drop his, give him a story by credit rather than write because Tarantino's movies need to say written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. So yeah, just fascinating. But uh all right, stick around for some plugs. Pool Sceners, as always, thank you for listening to the episode this week right here on the Pool Scene Podcast. And if you want to know what's going to be coming up on future episodes or what Kevin and I may be thinking at any given time, hop over to our Facebook page at Pool Scene Podcast. Make sure you smash that like button with unbridled enthusiasm. And while you are there, join the Pool Sceners Facebook group. It is for you. Exclusive access. Access will be put right onto that group page and nowhere else. You will also have a voice in what you guys want to hear on upcoming episodes, polls, ideas, so many fun things. So make sure you join the Pool Seniors page on Facebook. Also, we have Instagram. Check out some amazing photos live from Studio 536. Also, we're trendy with the kids. Go over to our TikTok at Pool Scene Pod 1. And as always, subscribe, rate, and follow Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. And with that, back to Kevin. The second person to retire from the pool scene universe, Anthony Kiedis. Yeah. Can't do it anymore. He found time. He's recording a new album with Rick uh, Rick Rubin. So I thought you were going to say Rick Ocasek. With Rick, Rick Ocasek from the cars. In the for afterlife. our new theme song for us. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, no more. That would be a waste of time. So, instead, we now introduce the final lap. Yeah! The final lap!
So I just got back from uh, about two weeks at Disney. Well, not just Disney, but uh, Florida and, and some parks. I was going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, so first off, Disney and Universal and Florida in general have weird mask well, laws. Well, well, look who the state's run by. Yes. So, so Universal was kind of just like, we recommend it, which means not a single person had a mask. Of course. The stores, we recommend it. Not a single person has a mask. I went to one gas station that was like, you must have a mask. And I was like weird like i respect it but weird yeah disney i tried to respect but i also got really irritated because i'm fully vaccinated you know i i understand the risks and all of that but like um disney if you tried to step foot into any indoor building there was somebody waiting there to be like you must put your mask on i wonder how many you know the amount of fucking rednecks that probably gave those employees absolute shit fuck you freedom so they tried to put their mask or they made you put a mask on great but then what i don't understand was just kind of like the is it worth it sort of thing because you could wait in a line for 20 minutes next to people shoulder to shoulder yeah you're face to face you're talking for 20 minutes but the second that you stepped under a roof whether there were walls or not if you stepped red under alert. awning red alert they were like you have to put your mask on you can't go any further and it's like well i just stood next to this person for 20 minutes with no mask and now putting a mask on is apparently i mean i don't the know. one thing like i'm fully vexed you guys know how i've felt about you know science is fucking right people lo and behold from all the bullshit that these other news organizations want to tell you Science is real. Wear a mask because even if you are fully vaccinated, you can still get COVID. Not as bad. But I have to laugh. And even at work, we just have these plexi dividers that aren't that wide. You know, air goes around it and over it and under it. So it just seems a little ridiculous unless you sneeze on somebody. Well, in any of those rides like that, you had to wear a mask on the ride, which wasn't really like noticeable. Like it didn't bother me to wear a mask on. So so we went to SeaWorld the first day. The whole thing with like the whales, because I thought they had to get rid of the whales. I thought like after Blackfish and after all of that, yeah, no I more thought, Shamu. I thought SeaWorld had to just flat out remove all the whales. Little that I know, they still have a full blown whale show. That's basically the same thing, hmm. except now all the bullshit, the whole theme of the show is trying to convince you. No, the whales actually love it. Oh yeah. They actually, we're doing great for the whales. This uh, is all the, God. you know, the whales are awesome. Like they love being here. They don't, they love being in a, uh, tank but yeah so the 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 whale show is kind of like eh, i don't know about that they yeah. just the whole video everything about it was like we're actually doing a ton of great for the whales and i was like i don't think so but i think once all the whales they have die they can't have any more so they're no longer able like they can't bring them in they can't bring them in any longer so they can only well so what the fuck are they gonna do once they run out of whales are they gonna, gonna shove in somebody in that tank I, I have no idea disney is very fascinated with the dark so me Meaning every ride at Disney at some point in the ride disaster transport at Cedar is, Point <laughs> has total darkness. So you've got like Pirates of Car- Caribbean total darkness is a small world at some point, which is like Cranax for those who live around us. It's like Cranax meets the Willy Wonka boat ride. So it's a fucking nightmare. It's a me. nightmare. The kids fucking loved it. They rode it three times. Which way um, we're rolling, rolling. Haunted Mansion, dark. Everything's got like a whole sequence of the ride where you're in the straight up dark. We get stuck for a little bit on the Peter pan ride surprisingly my kids didn't freak out 
But Did you? No. Okay. But they say something like, "Oh shit!" Know, yeah, they're like, "Well, we're stuck," and we're like over top of London, just up in the air, like looking. Like down. how far? Like how far? No, it's not a huge ride. Like not okay. very far. Because I go back to when we were stuck halfway up the lift. No, not like gatekeeper. that. Not okay. like that. Like this is just like you're in a little car. There's okay. no like anything restricting. But uh, every every ride just has some sequence in the dark, and then on top of it, after the fireworks show, which again, the COVID thing, can't wear your mask under. You have to wear a mask under an awning. We're gonna stuff 50,000 people are going to cattle them and corral them in like no masks yeah because you're outside but the fireworks were great but then after the fireworks magic kingdom is so dark like it's really hard to see at night it's super weird that the park's not more lit up and maybe it's to see like the lit yeah. up things better but it's so dark um but we went to sea world we went to magic kingdom we went to uh clearwater beach for a day shit ton of dead fish and when we really went to, yeah dead we're fish like every five feet on the beach somebody threw a fucking My kids grenade like, there's in there. another dead fish oh it's a dead fish dead fish great souvenirs and we paid 20 dollars to park at this deck by the time it was 5 55 p.m by the time we walked down out of our car we see them putting out a sign that said sunset parking ten dollars fuck i'm like five minutes you couldn't have given me the ten dollar cheaper parking as you're walking over dead fish so clearwater beach uh sea world we did our in-laws came and they stayed at this resort that had a water park and uh so we went there for a day we went to disney springs which is downtown disney went to magic kingdom we went to hollywood studios which is weird because you can't do any of the star Wars stuff like for example Ogus Cantina which is a bar inside Star Wars which is fucking awesome I loved it you need to get a reservation six months out and I was lucky because Dana turned on notifications and stuff and managed to find a random hurried up logged in got a reservation for one so her and the kids went and did something while I wrote while I went in Ogus Cantina for an hour I bought a uh, a Rancor 2 flight that uh, weighed about 25 pounds because I'd fly put it in my luggage to fly home and it was $85 fuck but it was awesome I got again what you don't go to Disney or any associated park and you're going oh this is gonna be a cheap yeah no so I uh, I'm gonna put it on my bar when the basement's finished anybody comes over can drink out of a Rancor tooth if they please hell yeah and uh, so yeah I went to Hollywood we went to Animal Kingdom which was the worst park we went on a safari there just wasn't a lot for me to do or us to do yeah so then we the kids decided they missed out on riding slinky dog so they're like we want to ride it now so we went back we had park hopper passes so we went back to after animal kingdom we went back to uh hollywood rode slinky dog some uh star wars stuff and did a toy story park again and then went back to epcot and then did epcot for a little bit had some dinner dinner in italy rode the ratatouille ride which had a five hour wait no fucking way and you but you could do a virtual queue where you um basically put your name in they sent you a notification when it was your turn and you had an hour to get there which we weren't even at the park we yeah. were at hollywood but we managed to get on the uh, buckets ride over to hollywood or ride over to epcot get to epcot still had to wait about a half hour in line and then rode it it's like a virtual reality like half of it's like in in front of a screen and then half of it you actually drive through like real environment and uh there was another ride like it which i'll mention in a second so to give my rankings of all of just the roller coasters i rode not the not like additional rides, you got some good credits just roller coasters number one jurassic park velocicoaster at universal islands of adventure this thing's fucking wicked it fucking zooms 
Um, it goes super fast. It's got a lot of like sweet inversions. I liked it a lot. Kind of scared me because you're only harnessed, no over the shoulder or anything, which is nice. It's got one of the T bars that comes down and pads that sit on your thighs. When you do inversions, all the weight is strictly on top of your thighs. So like when you do an inversion, I literally felt like I was going to fall out Yeah, and I didn't like it because I was like, I'm a little nervous about falling out on this thing. So you got to make sure your T bar is down far enough. Number two is Mako at SeaWorld. Uh, Giga coaster, a lot of uh, ejector air, just super fun. Liked it a lot. Number three, Incredible Hulk at Universal Islands of Adventure. Now, the Universal roller coasters, if anyone's going, have metal detectors and people with wands. Yeah, don't. So do not bring anything on it. Yeah, you learn that twice. Yes. Uh, number four, Rock and Roller Coaster featuring Aerosmith. The theming of this ride was super cool because uh, you go through like a recording studio and you can hear bands like performing behind the, the doors and stuff. And then you show up and fucking Steven Tyler's there and Aerosmith and uh, they're like well we gotta get to this gig but uh, you guys come along and we rented you a fucking super fast. Thank you for covering Armageddon for your first movie. Yes exactly. I got Jim uh, for the studio we got some uh, Aerosmith rock and roller coaster drumsticks that have flames on them. Fuck yes. Uh, Since they sponsored season one of the uh, pool scene podcast. Most of that roller coaster is in the dark but it's actually super cool. Hagrid's motorbike adventure I think it's called at Universal Islands Adventure. I didn't know the fucking thing dropped onto another track. <laughs> so you go so far on this coaster and then it fucking drops off one track onto another track and it's fucking jarring. <laughs> so I went through the single rider line on that one. So therefore I had to ride in the sidecar, not on the motorcycle. What a bummer. Almost the same ride is Expedition Everest at Animal Kingdom. They're very similar. Slinky Dog Dash at Hollywood Studios. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train at Magic Kingdom. Manta at SeaWorld, which is the human centipede roller coaster because they you sit in the seat and then it tips you over like in human centipede position shits in your mouth big thunder mountain at magic kingdom was number 10 number 11 my daughter rode some coasters and she loved flight of the hippogriff at universal islands adventure it's a harry potter themed pretty small coaster i mean it's um basically the first lift hill you kind of do a turn after you get to the top and then you kind of just go around down until you get to the end. It's it's pretty small thing. It's like a minute. Kraken at SeaWorld and then 13 was the first coaster they went on. It's a goofy themed roller coaster called Barnstormer, which is like a 40 foot lift hill and uh, kind of a traditional roller coaster, but just a little kid's coaster right behind Barnstormer. They're building something fucking crazy. They're building a roller coaster that's got this dome over top of it and the track's like attached to the dome. Mm. Super weird. Now, do any of the coasters that you rode down there, and some of those coasters are really well known. They're one of those like, hey, we got to fucking get airplane tickets to go ride this ride exclusively. Now, when we went to Kennywood, we raved over Phantom's Revenge. Like, fucking, what an amazing ride. Any of those rides that you went on eclipse Phantom's Revenge for this year? Velocicoaster, yeah. Velocicoaster, okay. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I would say a lot of the Disney coasters I wouldn't even put in my overall rankings because they've all got tricks. They've all got animatronics and dark sections and changing tracks. And then again, they're not thrill rides. And going backwards. And like, so I I almost don't count them as coasters. Now, Velocicoaster is... Looks fucking amazing. Incredible Hawk's pretty sweet. Mako's really good. I wouldn't say fly to Florida to ride Mako. If you're in Florida and stuff, ride Mako. They also say when... Is I in Gawazi open at like Bush Gardens? Because I heard how amazing yeah. Gawazi yes. is. I would, I would say if you went on a trip and we're like, okay, we're going to do a couple days... 
We're going to do a half day at SeaWorld, ride the coasters. We're going to go to Bush Gardens, ride, because I, I rode with a kid who was a local. I rode Velocicoaster with him, and he told me, go to Bush Gardens. He said ride Rip Ride and Rocket, which I didn't ride. I just yeah. didn't get an opportunity. Rip Ride and Rocket is you pick what, there's like a soundtrack. Okay. And you pick the song you want to listen to while you ride. And I guess somehow it coincides with what you're doing. Well, okay. Off top of your head, one song on that ride. What do you listen to? I don't know. Mine, Van Halen, Humans Bean. That's great. I listen to uh, Hocus Pocus by Focus. Fuck yeah. Um, so yeah. So then uh, I wrote Harry Potter and Forbidden Journey. My <laughs> wife, So my kids were big enough to ride it. It goes through Hogwarts. So my wife was like, do you mind going? There's a five minute wait. Do you mind going and getting on? And just letting me know if it's okay for the kids. I was like, okay. Not knowing what I was getting into. First off, the the environment, you walk through Hogwarts. Fucking awesome. If you're a Harry Potter fan, you could see all Did that. Did you have any butterbeer while you were down there? I did. What'd you think? It's weird. It's very weird. That's what I always hear. Very strange. I don't know what exactly I drank, but we drank uh, just the regular variety butterbeer, not the frozen butterbeer. Okay. Kids bought wands. My wife bought a wand, which that experience was sweet. We went to the whatever big wand. There's a couple wand shops, but we went to the, the, the big one. The coach wand when shop. When you go into the lobby, they close the door and this dude comes down and he selects someone in your group and he selects a wand for them. $100, fucker. Yeah. And it's basically that. But we spent like $200. <laughs> Got the kids wands, got my wife wand, and the kids were trying, so there's all this magic shit you can do in like windows and stores and stuff, but what we didn't know is my kids couldn't do any of this magic. They were getting pissed. Well, it turns out there's a lens on the end of it, and they're scraping the things on the ground and stuff. Oh. If the lens gets scratched, you can't You're do fucked. it. So we actually went to some shop that repairs them for free. I'm shocked but they didn't nickel after, and dime. No, but after they repaired them, we put them away, and we were like... Yeah. Listen, if I'm paying that much for a fucking toy yeah. wand, it better be autographed by Detlef Schrempf. All right? <laughs> Seriously. Yes. Uh, so uh, I didn't know that Hogwarts was very close to Jurassic Park, because the entrance to the actual Jurassic Park is right next to Hogwarts Castle. It's pretty fascinating. Wow, who would have thought? I never knew. Shared universe. Right in the backyard of Harry Potter's dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, if you go to Florida and you, I would say definitely go to Universal, do all the Simpsons stuff. That's fucking awesome. Oh, so anyway, I, back to, I rode this Harry Potter ride. It's like the Ratatouille ride where there's a screen and half of it's through a real environment. Half of it's on a screen. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> it's like all the worst parts. First off, riding Ratatouille one, it just kind of like dips forward and back and side to side. The Harry Potter one's like, no, we're going to fling you fucking upside down and backwards and all this other Scare shit. Scare the shit out of you. And then a fucking dragon's going to breathe fire directly in your face. And then a Dementor is going to pop up and suck your dick. And it's like, <laughs> what? No, it's just all this weird. You have to pay shit. for that. All this weird shit. And I'm like, get me off of this thing. I hate it. I walked out. I told my wife, I was like, no. I'm not doing that again. That sucked. So yeah, it was a great trip. I mean, we spent, honestly, I don't even know why I'm saying this on the podcast, but between everything, we spent $10,000, $10,000 for a Disney trip. Christ. And that's taking into consideration our flights round trip were like $45. You know what though? It makes getting next season, what if we can get a Cedar Fair platinum pass to go to all these Cedar Fair parks, 250, drop the pan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, at Disney, it's like, it's everything is expensive. Your, your meals, your tickets, your, it's 25 bucks a day to park. You go to Europe yeah. for 10 grand and, and then like, some. But that wasn't even the flights or really the room or like where we stayed. It was everything. It was the parks themselves. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's uh, ten grand. I won't get back, but it was great. Got a lot of pictures and memories. <laughs> great. Um, and fucking resellers kept me from buying anything I actually wanted to buy. Uh, so I before we go, I keep meaning to mention this, and I forget because this is from like two months ago. We got an angry email a couple months back directed at me specifically because I we were talking about Doctor Brackish Oaken from Independence Day. Brown water. Yes, we were exactly. And I said that brackish meant dirty water or gross water. I got a correction. Correction. I'm not sure if this particular listener, like he's got to have a job that deals with water treatment. Yeah. Or like water quality. Maybe he's fucking Bobby Boucher. (laughs) So while brackish can refer to unpleasant, it's more commonly defined as when salt water and river water mix. Great. So water where like a stream flows into salt water, it's when salt water and river water, salt water and fresh water mix. That's what brackish technically means. Although if you look it up again, it can refer to unpleasant water. So there you go. Myself and the listener who sent that email can now both sleep at night. Yeah. Thank because God. I corrected it and I hope you're happy. Now send me a fucking McPizza box. <laughs> Asshole. Damn it. So speaking of Bobby Boucher, next week's episode, Halloween uh, special, so you have a chance to listen to it a couple of times before Halloween itself. It's our Halloween special. We did Gremlins 2 last year, you know, got a, sp- it's basically a normal episode, but with spooky sound effects Ooh. and spooky music and some monster mash and whatever else this year. So speaking of Bobby Boucher, double whammy this year's Halloween episode, the Netflix exclusive Hubie Halloween. There we go, folks. I watched it probably 10 times last year. Never seen it. Because I love Halloween stuff. I have my list of five, six, seven, eight movies I watch every year for Halloween. I was like, this is going to be dog shit. But the thing I like about the movie, it takes place in Salem, Massachusetts. It really feels like Halloween. Not great, but it's like a bunch of it's Adam Sandler and his friends doing a bunch of Halloween stuff. I mean, we're going to have a good time with it. Yeah, so. I, started, I started watching, uh, me and the lady started watching all the Friday the 13th movies again. Nice. And I used to love those movies until you start watching them again going, oh, fuck. It's logic issues with that one. From the first to second movie, it's a time travel movie. Yeah. Because it's supposed to take place five years later. In actuality, these movies were filmed year after year after year after year. You would think that somebody would have said, hey, you know what? We're going to shut this whole lake area down. There's been some murders past couple Mm -hmm. years. Safety first. Yeah. Shutting it down. Nope. Listen to the old guy. Don't fucking go to the park. What happens? Sex, drugs, you're dead. I can't wait for you to get to uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. I love that. I've seen them all before. Yeah. Jason Takes Manhattan. But I love it. The uppercut knocking his head off, off the building into the dumpster is always the best. But I do have some announcements for this upcoming year. Also, shout out to Modern Methods Brewing Company based here in downtown Warren. I should say down the road a bit in downtown Warren. Kevin and I are Dave Grohl Alley. Dave Grohl Alley. Born in Warren, Ohio, mind you, everybody. Foo Fighters own. Not the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters own. We're drinking ultimate warrior alt which is like a brown alt beer which did not expect it to look at dark as dark and taste as dark but i recommend everybody ultimate warrior has a bat like the can is pretty fucking awesome yeah I, it's the, really cool. can art's really good but i want to make a couple announcements we are going to do two not just one two crossover episodes this season so later on in the season we don't know where it's going to fall in the 10 or how many episodes we do this year including the swim meet series is we are going to bring fan favorite youngstown comedy syndicate's own mike kalenich 
Shane Herman back on the show. Michael Kalanich, as we have told you, is has a YouTube channel called American Zenial. Kevin and I brought up the fact that he did a video. He, he came down with uh, Michael Kalenich came down with COVID again, fully vaxxed. He lost his sense of taste and smell. So he did a video called Salad Sunday, which he made. He mixed a bowl full of salad, spices, ranch, anchovies, ice cream, and ate it all. And his wife had to leave the room because she almost threw up because of the smell, but he couldn't smell her taste. We're going to have him back on the show. We're going to cover the movie Bachelor Party starring Tom Hanks, 1984. And we are going to do a crossover with his YouTube channel. And we are going to do this salad Sunday. All four of us are going to eat it. Oh, I'm not eating it. Live on the air. Oh, we're going to do it. We got it. It's going to be hilarious. So that's going to be crossover one. Crossover number two is we are going to do an episode with our friends over at Midnight Movie Night. Check them out on Apple and all the fun other podcast sites. They just did Jaws 3D, which is one of my favorite Jaws movies. It's hilarious. They're doing funny, spooky, weird movies throughout the month of October. They're going to come on. on uh, Blair Witch, Book of Shadows right now. Yeah. Just released. Which is going to be fucking awesome. Check them out. Kevin and Megan. They're going to come on the show and we're going to cover the 1989 John Ritter sex comedy starring also Zap from American Gladiators, which I've reached out to Zap. We're going to have uh, do an interview with her, have her on the show as well. And we're going to do the movie Skin Deep with them. So we are excited to do Probably that. Dark condoms. So, yeah, there's I kid you not, everybody. There's a glow in a dark condom fight scene with John Ritter and some guy, and some Italian guy. guy, biker. His name's probably Gabagool. So... <laughs> It's going to be hilarious. So two big crossovers coming right now in season seven. We got so many other movies lined up. Kevin and I got to finalize what's going to be coming up this season. But guys, buckle up, prepare for the ride, and we lead you into 2022 properly. All right, guys. Uh, We had a lot of fun on this one, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun next week. I'm a Tarantino believer now. Yes. Watch uh, Inglorious Bastards. We're going to have a lot of fun next week for our Halloween special featuring Adam Sandler, not in studio, just in the movie. We could probably get him in studio now. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, as Adam Sandler would say, Silencia. Playing solitaire till dawn.